Welcome to Book Shambles. You're listening to an abridged version of this episode. You can listen to the full uncut edition of this episode if you become a Patreon supporter of the show. And that's for as little as $1 a month via Patreon. And uh, you can support us. So just go to patreon.com forward slash. I still say forward slash. I'm I'm nearly 51. Thank you. Uh, Forward slash Book Shambles for more info and how to pledge. Hello and welcome to Book Shambles. Producer Trent here as always. Uh, today's episode, obviously recorded remotely again, they all are these days, sees Robin and Josie joined by the poet Rachel Long. Her new book, My Darling from the Lions, is out now. You might have seen Rachel as part of the Octavia Poetry Collective when they uh, performed at one of our Nine Lessons shows a couple of years ago or at Latitude or various other places around the country. A reminder that you can get an extended version of this episode, as you can every week, by becoming a Patreon supporter of the podcast at patreon.com slash bookshambles. And becoming a subscriber not only means you get extended episodes, uh, but you also support us continuing to make the show uh, while there's no live shows for us to go out and do and you also get access to lots of other exclusive shows uh, coming up soon we've got a Doctor Who show and tell special hosted by Robin uh, recent show and tell guests we've had on include uh, Jay Wilgoose from Public Service Broadcasting Nish Kumar Alice Roberts Ross Noble lots of others so Patreon.com slash bookshambles is the place to go. And if you are listening to this on the day it comes out, we'll be back at Royal Albert Hall virtually as part of Royal Albert Home tomorrow night, Friday night, August 21st, to do a live bookshambles live stream. We've done bookshambles at the Albert Hall a number of times before, so we're delighted to be doing it as part of Royal Albert Home. Robin, Josie and Helen Chersky will be hosting that event and we'll be having two special guests as part of it. The astronaut Samantha Cristoforetti will be joining us to talk about her time aboard the ISS and her new book, Diary of an Apprentice Astronaut. And we'll also be joined for a chat and some music as well from our friend Tanita Tickerham. So that's at 7.30. Go to the Cosmic Shambles or the Royal Albert Hall website for details. It's free to stream. So watch that. It'll be great. It'll be good fun. Now on to this week's episode. Here is Robin and Josie and Rachel. Hello. Welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. And uh, today, well, actually, I'm going to start. How are you, Josie? You all right? I'm really good, thank you. Yes, I am uh, very uh, happy uh, for reasons that I can't really explain in public. But Happiness is very hard to explain. Big. It's like the problem of consciousness. I, I understand you feel happy, but if you try and work out why you're happy, it destroys it. Is that what you mean? Absolutely. Don't want to observe it. Don't yeah. want to observe it. Never observe <laughs> your contentment. It's a disaster. Um I was going to ask you what, because uh, today we're going to be talking about poetry. What was the first poetry book you remember having of your own volition? Not one that you had to read covered in brown paper for um, school. Well, 
it depends. If if I'm thinking about being a child, it was always Michael Rosen. I had so many Michael Rosen books that I've kept to this day, and loads of like loads of his poems and loads of his work was really, really a big, big part of my childhood. If we're looking at like adolescence, me going out and buying stuff, then uh, I well, I would steal off my mum. So my mum had a book of Yevgeny Yevtushenko poetry. I stole that. She had um, The New Poets, uh, which was the Al Alvarez edited one from the 60s. Stole that. Um, uh, Sylvia Plath, absolutely. Ripped that off. And so I took a lot of things like that. Um, and I really loved, she had a Brian Patton anthology, which was Brian Patton's Love Poetry. And I loved that. So it was, it was quite modern or sort of relatively modern stuff. What about you? Yeah, that would be the same for me because I was, I, was, I was trying to work out, when I asked that question, I thought, do I have an answer for it? It's always a mistake to ask a question that you haven't got an answer for yourself. But I, I think my first one must have been the, uh, the Mersey Sound Collection with yes. uh, Adrian Henry, Brian Patton and Roger McGough. Yes. And it's interesting is that there's certain generations where – they, you know, Roger McGough's importance and Brian Patton and Adrian Henry is so huge, as in e- each generation hopefully has certain springboards where you just go, oh, okay. And on they, they put on some compilation of a, uh, of an old show that was on Granada, which had loads of punk bands on it. And wow. then it had Cooper Clark when he was still working at Salford Tech, where he used to work giving out the drills and stuff for people doing things. And then mm. in between him in those uh, impeccably tight trousers that he can still fit into his knees are wider than his thighs it is an incredible achievement um but we are joined the reason we're having this conversation is because uh we're joined by uh, a poet who has uh first published I, I i think this is your 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 first official published collection isn't it rachel this is Picador poetry and um I think also I'm right in saying the first time that I saw you as as part of the the group that you I'm I'm right in saying co-founded or were you founder? Founder. Founder. Right. The, no the, help. <laughs> the Oct- Octavia Poetry Collective as well, which I think the first time was probably at um, Latitude Festival. But I, I thought that was so great. And where where did the whole thing start? When did you go right? We need a poetry collective. We need to form this and, and create something. Um, uh, 2014, I had, uh, just finished, um, my MA and I think it was being in a particularly uncreative academic space, even though the course was supposed to be creative and also um, in many ways, maybe even like a hostile environment for, um, some of the people who were in that class, um, and I just felt that, and, I, and kind of being on the poetry scene and speaking to particularly like young, brilliant women whom I love their work. And a lot of the time in like these breaks of um, of these poetry events, uh, we would get talking or if not on the way home. And we all had these really similar stories from being in academic spaces. And a lot of the frustrations and the sadnesses were the same. And so I thought, okay, how can we... Um, make a space that maybe we don't have to deal with some of the things that are um, actually stopping us from doing the thing that we want to do, which is just right. So, so can yeah. I ask what those were, if if you don't mind, but you know, so, so some of the some of the kind of uh, problems because then sometimes people who are actually may well even some of the people creating them sometimes are 
not as aware of how yeah no that's that's really true um so being in that particular space um sometimes having to uh be a spokesperson for a particular um issues and i say i know you can't see me do like uh cheese little inverted commas but like issues that maybe shouldn't uh, yeah the issues yeah. anyway and then you're like the spokes or deemed the spokesperson for that or that you'd suddenly be an expert in not only because you're also there to learn but then you're also having you're thrown into this sort of uh almost uh by default of maybe like your gender or race uh expected to be this expert on not only like writing and that's what you're there for to learn but also kind of you're supposed to be up on you know up-to-date feminist theory yeah yeah yesterday um you're supposed to have you know a phd in race relations in you know 1970s post-colonial senegal or something you know when you've never even been you know so you're kind of so a lot of the time we're we're in a in a kind of space um or s- some of those spaces you're expected to know things that um or talk about things that you you maybe don't know any any more than someone else and also that your writing is is kind of treated that it should be educating a reader whilst not also just being there as a piece of not even just but a piece of art like yeah. that that there's always this other reading, like what you get to hear with class is really interesting. Um, that has like a working class writer, then you can see the class in it. But I was talking to someone else the other day, they were like, well, if you're going to write about bees, that's also about writing about class because yes. you have, you know, the time and the space to keep bees and you're not w- working like two jobs. But no one talks about those books in terms of class. So it's because you know the majority of the people assessing it all come from the same sort of material circumstances and don't think yeah I can totally imagine how you know then it'd be like it's so interesting you're writing about like gritty classes my life was just different to yours so that's why I write about it like that it's not actually making a statement it's writing the song of my heart yeah yeah some people's readings of the book it got like somebody I think who was trying to praise it um, um i really won't say who but it said like um it really speaks for the impoverished and i was like okay <laughs> like i was like oh i didn't think anyone was impoverished in the book not my mother that is who's impoverished in the book um or yeah gritty is another word raw kind of it gets kind of thrown about a lot and that really um yeah, it's both. It's just both angers me at first, but like deeply upsets me. And so, creating a space like um, Octavia's, or even because we can create spaces, even like we have with this, that you you can talk about these things um, in an in an open way. And then after that, you get to the work. You know, um, you don't have to kind of only stop at sort of explaining. And because that takes a lot of energy, the energy that should be used and could be used for creativity. Yeah. And you get to build a sort of metaphorical house where everyone is safe to just experience joy and creativity and not have to sort of be in somebody else's house cleaning up the whole time. Or I don't, I'm trying to think yeah, of a very no, it's like so, your time it's being so true. No, Josie, you're right. It's so true. And the whole the 
the kind of the true aim of Octavia is for it not to be necessary anymore. Yeah. You know, when when like lots of spaces, when there's not just kind of one dominant voice or point of view that makes it sometimes not the best creative space for other people in that space also. You know, so that it's not um, that you kind of want to be segregated forever. That's not. It's just like, how can we how can we have this space right now so that we can write and create and get to where uh, we want to be with our writing? And then. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm going around in circles now, um, but it, the, the aim of it. And I think I think that is important is for it not to be necessary anymore. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's an interesting psychological problem, and like a, mm -hmm. it's a problem which I think collides with also the fact that art is constantly being marketed by people who ultimately aren't particularly well. So you know, psychologically, people want to turn you into a single thing. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what we see in, in in the media the whole time, in social media, in interactions. What are you? You're you're not allowed to be uh, a multitude. A multitude is too difficult thing to believe in. And then that other thing of going, hang on a minute, what's the market? There's this bit of the market's not really currently being catered for. This 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 seems very exciting. This seems we we we've seen we've seen a monetized hole, and we believe you are where we're going to be able to take ninety percent of that, and we'll give you something as well. So one in terms of um your what why you turned to what was it about when do you i was asked asked josie about her first book of poetry mm -hmm. do you remember the first thing that you saw or that you read where you can kind of start to go oh this is a nice way to make things mm. um yes uh was centuries teaching my mother how to give birth her pamphlet that i didn't read until i think that came out in 2013 um, and I was working this really crappy job that I hated. Um, I, I think I'd just, I'd just finished uni. Um, I was back home. I was broke. I didn't want to be back in London anyway, kind of thing. It was really, really sad. Um, and it was a horrible job that I didn't even like, but I just needed to give my mum shopping money, you know. And then I, in my lunch break, I read Warsan. I got on a bench in a park. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, like, this is what um, this is what poetry can be. Because I think I always loved poetry. I've always loved reading. But it was it was reading her book that was turned on, like, all of the lights. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, you can write about family and you can write about uh, sex and you can write about um, where, like, Use, use the word multitude, Robin, but there's the multitude of the kind of places and um, of where you're from, but also the people you have been and could be. Mm. I love that. I kind of didn't, I think I just, I think I got in a lot of trouble because I just sat there for so long and I kind of, I refused to go back in many, in many ways. I, did, I kind of didn't in the same way. I didn't go back. Yeah, you were, you were a different person coming back from different. that lunch break. I was different. You were forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that yeah, Wilson, um yeah, massive, massive influence on, on my work. So that's quite fast. That's quite a between you read that and then you you know, almost within a year you're you're going, right, we're, we're gonna set something up and we're gonna create something and that's a that's a great thing to you know so do you remember when you read that? Had you been, because you said you, you you always love kind of, uh, you know, the, the written word anyway, had you played around with stories and stuff or did you then just find yourself going, right, this is the way to do it then? 
Um, e both, yes. Um, so I was always like a weird bedroom kid. I was always being like, if you don't come down for your dinner, and all I wanted to do is read. I didn't really kind of want to interact with any of my family. Mm. I was sure that they weren't my family anyway. All the people <laughs> in my books were, um, understood me far better. Um, I, I used to write lots. I would stick little exercise books together um, and write lots about girls in World War II for some reason. I was the same thing. Yeah, but it was. Um, I was just there were kids magazines from the seventies that you could still get in, I guess, the eighties and nineties called like Bella or like Bunty or like. And they all were about sad girls from the past. So it'd be like a sad girl who was evacuated, or like a sad girl in Victorian times, or like, and they would all be sad, lonely, bookish girls who were orphans. Oh my god, I I lived for it. I maybe we were sad girls from wherever we were from too that's what they uh, we identified with them but a hard like that Victorian girl is me yeah was there normally a sad ghost as well yes there was always there wasn't the one sad ghost story per per comic yeah we need to look at these these are amazing I, I didn't know there was a whole like lineage of sad well I didn't know there was a lineage of sad girls but, but, but not that I could go and get from like the library they were in magazines so oh, think, like, I know I what you want, Misty Misty, yeah. do you remember Misty? look up Misty Bunty. did you uh, not have Misty? I need Trent to look up Misty and Bunty oh, which is like, I know what I'm getting someone for their birthday Josie Long, I think it'll be a Misty <laughs> annual so so then you would be very much identifying with kind of kids going through the blitz and sort of yeah. that was some spiritual yeah. help. If someone was speeding away from London on a train, you know, crying into like their one flask that had been given, that was, I was like, oh, I'll be reading this for the next week. Um, so I kind of always, and then, yeah, so a lot of the things that I would read would be that I used to read books about the plague a lot as well and I thought I would catch the plague oh yeah oh, yeah I, I would wow. catch the black death from touching the book so I was a very yeah just kind of that child and then uh, so I used to write <laughs> uh, write things as well and I did a whole degree but I was writing kind of bad novels so all, all the way all the way up until basically reading Warsland and being like you know what actually I think it's poetry that I want to write Wow. How it must have felt very freeing to find your like correct outlet, a correct mm. find your preferred outlet slightly later on. Because it, like, I can imagine, because uh, we both, Robin and I, found stand up quite early and were like, mm. right, this is it. But I think I can imagine sort of writing novels must have felt a bit mm. sort of like you're wading through something or like, yeah. How did it? Absolutely. Yeah, you just feel kind of found, like, ah, oh, this is it. Because the, the 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 kind of the novels were never very successful and I'd always kind of wonder why, or they were never finished. Um, yeah, kind of abandoned. But you can do that in a poem, and that's what I love. You know, a poem is never, if you kind of neatly tie up a poem, that's usually not a very good poem. You can just sort of, you can car crash the ending and then just leave your reader forever in sort of free fall. Uh, <laughs> and that's okay. And that doesn't, you know, if, in a, if, that was a, if that was a novel, that would be, you know, deeply unsatisfying. But in a poem, it's okay. And then you can just pick up wherever you want to next time. And that's a whole nother poem, a whole nother universe. What I so, love about them. Yes. Is that like, it makes it feel quite, quite like a dangerous form. 
Uh, not a safe form at all. I love that. I I think it's dangerous. I think there's really lots of yeah. The, there's a lot of there's a lot of risk. Um, yeah, I think it's really dangerous, but I don't get out much. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nobody's getting out. Nobody's out. We're all in. Okay. Oh, okay. And th- did you are any of those first poems that you wrote in your collection now? And so really early on ones. Yeah. No way. <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> they are on an old laptop somewhere where no, nobody, not even me, will ever look back at. Um, no, but what I found is uh, kind of interesting is that a lot of the things that I was trying to get to always in the beginning, the things that I'm obsessed with, I've always been obsessed because, yeah, even you saying about sad girls and kind of what I used to love uh, reading and writing about, that's still kind of the vibe. There's still sad girls in that book. There are sometimes really happy ones that are kind of laughing, but um, yeah, that's so. No, not the actual poems, but versions like grown up. Like if I was writing kind of like girl versions of them, then I hope that they've kind of grown up in the in the book. But they're still about essentially the same uh, or very similar things. I just didn't know what I was kind of getting at. There's a poet, Caroline Bird, who I loved and has helped me so much with the book. Like, she mentored me quite early on as well. But she says, like, a poem, or like, beginning a poem, or the themes that we write about, like, first are all kind of pixelated, and then it starts to become, the more you write into it and into it, or the kind of, the more kind of education you get, or the more you read, the more the pixels kind of come, and then suddenly kind of make a really clear picture until it's like, oh, I know exactly what this is. So it's like, as a writer, you're, you're distilling down uh, over, like, great time and working out exactly what is most important to you, mm-hmm. working out exactly who you are mm. through the same uh, avenues. Yeah, wow. or who the poems are, because they are not, yeah, that's not true. you. That's they not you. They have to be you. Yeah, yeah or they don't have to be. Um and I love that. Sometimes it's like listening to the poem, like, oh, shit, you're going to go that way. Okay, well, I, I, I would have, I would not go that way, poem, but you just got to listen to it and then just uh, kind of let it, let it tell you. Sorry, Josie, what was you going to Oh, no, it was not as interesting. <laughs> I was, that's what I like when you were saying about the poems, about, you know, they're not all sad girls, some they're happy. And then sometimes you start reading one of your poems and you go, oh, I think she's sad. Oh, no, it's all right, actually. You know, there's some that there's the, the, the twists don't always go down the melancholy route. It doesn't always end with the tear flask on the train. Um, yeah. In fact, I don't think there's any flasks with tears in them. In the, the, that's such a lovely image I'd not realised. Flasks in the book. I don't know if anyone else felt that when they were reading it. like a flask. Yeah, the, the things that, and a, and a lack of girls' public schools with a ghost in them, which of course was very much the 1970s annual. There's one poem that I, I've been thinking a lot about today while we've been chatting as well is that the poem about the girl in your class doing your makeup for you yeah. and the closeness of it and the energy of it. It's so, to me, told so much about that time, about school, about that relationship. And I, I felt like it was a universe in like, Ten lines or something like the the closeness of the two and yeah and and I think there's yeah one of the things I really loved about it that loved about the book was that that I felt that you conveyed so much so economically and it the um, energy of it was so I don't know big I, yeah 
that's that's just me saying I liked it. <laughs> Sorry, is that helpful? Is no, that? thank you, Jess. That means a lot. There were so many poems, like particularly about Tiff, like really early on. Like maybe there were about. There's been, I think, maybe four versions of this sort of uh, this collection. Even if I didn't know that that was, I wouldn't use that word even for it. But sort of like, yeah, maybe four versions of this. There used to be so many poems about Tiff and so many poems about school. And then I realized and you using the word distilling is a is a really interesting one because actually I was like, no, maybe it's it is that. Maybe it is her doing her makeup and her having bread in her brother. That does sum up all the other ones about it's that it makes so much sense with regard to what you were just saying as well. Like, yes, you've solved that puzzle. You've um you've said what needs to be said about that thing now. There it is. I hope so. I hope so. Or maybe there'll be another version. I'm like, oh, I've completely forgot that bit about school. Or maybe that's a whole other. I hope. I hope so because that time is so charged with with, yeah. with like kind of uh, like you're moving from like girlhood into when you're firstly being noticed, but you don't really know what to do with it. But you like it. But you hate it. But you like it. It's just kind of you're like kind of exchanging bras in the toilet, but you're like girls about them like oh my god I've got a bra um but then also being annoyed by them um swapping makeup we used to swap contact lenses yeah I know one yeah. eye to another we had um <laughs> different different color contact lenses yeah oh, oh yeah there was no, there was no point of doing the other one <laughs> I had blue eyes for a whole year <laughs> oh thank heavens that technology didn't exist when I was growing up the um Oh. This is it's long, 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 long after my time. The um... Sorry to interrupt your podcast, but I just quickly wanted to let you know about the thing, which is that Book Shambles and the Cosmic Shambles Network exist thanks to generous pledges of our listeners on Patreon. If you want to support the podcast and what we do, tiers start at just $1 a month and you'll get all sorts of goodies thrown in. So go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. I like. I was thinking of ghost, ghost actually, and there is that that lovely poem where only some of you catches the train. Oh yeah, apples. Yeah. I feel yeah. I, I feel like that a lot. That different versions um, of you can be in different places. We're kind of where what we're doing now. Like there's a version where this isn't happening, mm. or we had this for a different time and. This is either before or after. I think that comes a lot from my mum's like belief system in like the spiritual and um, like the physical world and how they kind of they 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 don't run like uh, they don't run at the same time. Like she believes that the spirit world is always slightly ahead, and so I think I think a lot in terms of like what could happen, how you can affect what you do here later. I don't know. So basically, I was messing around with that. I think it's like really weird. But actually, I, I used to reject a lot of or so much, maybe all of like kind of that belief system until I realized that actually it makes for the right poems. <laughs> what, messing around with time and like what could have been. And yeah, it just, it just works with the sad girl flask stuff. So I was like, yeah, I'll borrow that. That's what Alan Moore that. said when Alan Moore decided to worship an ancient snake god. Well, but, isn't it? No, but he, he basically was like, this is a much more creative, interesting, uh, intellectually stimulating thing for me to be doing. 
and it's going to make for better art and for a more fun life. So really? why not? So I didn't know and that. Does he still worship the... Uh, the Glycon. Worship Glycon. Yeah. I mean, just, well, it's I, I think what he has... For him, basically. Oh but it's God. play, isn't it? It's the play that... I yeah, think that there's a certain stuff. problem with organised religion that it's mm-hmm. taken loads of interesting things, mm-hmm. uh, co-opted them for its own use... And then should you, if you consider yourself to be kind of, you know, rational or logical or whatever, mm. you start to approach those things, you immediately feel, oh, I better not go near there because that belongs to that nasty religion or whatever else. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an interesting thing where being able to play around with some of those ideas and not turn them into a fixed organised religion is go, yeah, you yeah. want to go. It was something, I don't know if we were talking about it the other day, where... Kind of, I think I've got a better understanding now of some of those things. When, when, like, I was in a bookshop. I'm sorry if I've told you this before, Josie. The um, this before it means it's all I ever talk about. So I apologise. But it's, um, I, I was looking at all those books about angels. She, you know, there's all oh, yeah. these books, real big industry. And I was in a, in a bookshop. In I'm in quite a lot. And I went, oh god, there's loads of these. But I didn't say anything rude. I just went, god, weren't there a lot of these? And then this woman they who's would quite have known. <laughs> they were but the, it was a second-hand shop you know they went oh yeah yeah no we had someone just bringing a load of them and then this woman went oh i've got loads of those and so i was glad i hadn't said anything rude and she had a little mm. stuff and she'd lost her brother uh and so but i knew talking to her afterwards that she doesn't believe that her brother's an angel mm. when she finds a white feather she connects with all of that so for a moment there's this cognitive dissonance and there he is and he exists mm. and and to me that's that's a really the, i think more and more of all of those things which are very easy to sometimes the moment they're turned into an organization the moment they're t- turned into an official dogma mm-hmm. part of their magic is also lost i think mm-hmm. i agree how did you rachel on, on your in terms of performing lives and writing that what speed did you go from writing poetry and then going, I can stand up in front of people and I can, uh, I, I can do this out loud. Wine. Wine. <laughs> the, the speed of wine. That, yes. What was yes. in that flask all in? <laughs> <laughs> By doing that, how have you found that's changed? Because there's some poets I see, and I, I can see they're, they're quite, they're, there's a certain, I think of an, maybe of another generation, of quite fixed um, from page to performance. And there's other poet, poets where I watch them over a few different occasions, and I see how the two things feed back and forth, mm-hmm. right on the page and then performing it, and then finding something in that performance that couldn't have existed if they just stayed in their attic room. Interesting. No, I've been a little bit flippant. Yes, wine helps, and, and it used to like a lot um, until you kind of, or I until I didn't kind of need, need to, that to to have enough kind of confidence to um, kind of go up there. But in the beginning, there's a brilliant um, organisation um, for, and I think they're the biggest. Um, spoken word organization in the country apples and snakes oh yeah they're brilliant yeah i love i really love apples and they were really influential like again like really early on as well um but there was a brilliant woman who worked there called daisy doctoral and she i loved doing this already i loved writing um i loved the workshops they ran because they were 
they were free. Again, like kind of what, what you were just saying about um, religion, it wasn't poetry in this kind of over-academicized sense. Mm. It was, it was, it, it was really varied and really kind of allowed, really allowed you to explore. And so Daisy one day was just like, do you want to like, do, do, do you want to like perform some poems? And I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> no yes no yeah, maybe I don't know and she was like yeah we can even we can give you a small fee for it and go and do that and I remember I think the first I think the first stage was rich mix rich mix in Shoreditch which is a big big old stage yeah. actually yeah and I was not like, the easiest room to start off in very high no. very all over the place yeah you're right Josie I was very scared um and it wasn't that bad. A poetry audience is the probably, and I don't know, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I bet a stand-up artist, they're probably the kindest audience you could possibly ever have. Even if you're absolutely terrible, they'll still smile and clap and be very kind and say nice things afterwards. Well, I think people are you more You get fruit open. thrown at you, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> In my time, actually. No! But- um, I, I think as well, poetry audience is conditioned to be very open because they don't know what they're going to get. They don't know if they're going to get something that's built to be funny or built to be emotional or, or kind of built to be performed or sort of built to be read. Like, So I think they have to be a good crowd in lots of ways. No, way. I like that. Yeah, they are. I do think, I do think they are. But, I mean, like, do you... You're, question about like there are some there are some spoken word artists particularly that is a certain like discipline and there's a certain kind of uh set of rules in terms of like uh style and um delivery um that is a kind of uh one side of the spectrum I think of 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 poetry it's the broad church to keep on with our uh, um there is not side, maybe side suggests like different camps, but, and then there's, and again, I think Wilson and Shara was really influential for me here as well, because she, she is as good on the page as she is, and as intimate on the page as she is when she stands in front of, I don't know, like 200 people. And she, she said in a workshop once, she was like, I just, she can just completely um, capture a room just, just in, and she's not like overly performative. She doesn't start, you know, crying at her own poems or doing amateur dramatics or anything like that to kind of heighten them in any way. It's, I think it's in the honesty. If anything, she gets quieter. And she said in one workshop, she was like, I just imagine I'm on the phone to my best friend. Like in, in any room, in any space, you know, in any kind of, could be outdoor massive festival kind of where we met, but yeah she just feels she just she's just like I'm on the phone to my friend and the intimacy it gets to like what what like watching that and listening to that is just so stark um so I kind of I try and do a similar thing like even though I find it very hard because I do get quite I am very aware when I'm reading my poems aloud because I can't be that that call and just like I'm just on the phone because I'm like I'm not I can see faces they're not my friends they're not my friends but I think trying to trying to channel that as much as possible like basically like how can I be as myself really and as comfortable and as honest and true whilst reading this poem um so yeah I think some some people are brilliant and I think more and more we there is a maybe a pressure but an expectation that you do have to be good at both 
basically. I don't think, I think the days that you could be like an attic hermit are kind of, they're not over, but but it's going to be harder for you to make a living basically yeah. as well. So like practically, so there is this expectation that you should be good at both. Does that, does that answer that, Robin? Yeah. I, I wondered, as, do, do you find when like the change in meaning from the, someone can read your work and mm. they can say so and then they can see it and they can go oh now i've heard you. that that poem changes you know that the, there's a lot of life and there's a lot of possible form going from reading it on the page to then seeing you perform it the, the, the things that can be found yeah i do i uh i i find that when i'm uh either reading and listening to somebody else's work definitely it's almost sometimes like you're reading it, like you've never read it when someone reads it in their own voice. And yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, some poets read their poems absolutely terribly. And you're yeah. like, wow, I'm much prefer this with my head voice uh, in bed. That's so funny, the idea that you could actually do your work a disservice. It comes from you. It comes from your heart. And you fucked it. <laughs> you've made it work oh gosh it's true but as writers like there, I think we also there's this undue pressure that we're also going to be like brilliant at so many things but as a writer it doesn't necessarily mean you're good at speaking mm. or talking about things as well you know and, and again like things like panels and uh, at festivals and at events like you also there's this pressure that you're going to be great at talking about um you know like kind of everything also around the poems like no I just like being in my room and, and writing poems in silence and then yeah get up and then do do yourself a massive disservice if you great on the page and not otherwise i once <laughs> saw a panel with a writer who i will absolutely not name whose work i had loved i loved their work and then when i saw them in person i found their personalities to be so off-putting to me that it ruined them for me and I thought there was no need I could have no stayed in the bed. I think it's like I think it's like internet dating isn't it like someone could be great and you're like they're funny over like text you're like oh my god and then you meet them you're like wow yeah this is not going any further <laughs> what like can I not just put you back into the computer and put you can, back you, on can the you not be a physical being yeah basically but that that's the problem as well, isn't it? Which is sometimes I've definitely seen this with musicians being interviewed is everything that they've wanted to say. A lot of them are said in what they write. Mm -hmm. And and also that very often, perhaps what you're working on and what you're creating is the best version of you. So, you know, the, the art is not meant to be this is the shabby bit and then I really shine when I go to sell the book. It's that bit, though, I've seen that happen as well. But it's kind of, you know, that, that, but that is an interesting thing, isn't it? Which is I think people can often be disappointed when they uh, meet certain kind of people that they've considered to be stars and that when because they are no longer having the level of charisma, which is that moment which is on the page or on the stage. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Like I... Like after this, I'll be like, "Oh, you said that. You shouldn't say that." It's because I, I I like having lots of time to basically craft what I want to say. That's why I write poems, you know. Um, That's why we do stand up shows, is because then you can seem really fresh off the cuff, but you've thought about everything you're saying. Hmm. Made sure well, I make it up totally every time I do it. 
Do you not oh, make it up every time? Yeah. Oh, that's weird, Joe. See, you look very... Oh, I, I'd not realised you were such a cheat and a liar and a charlatan. Let mm-hmm. down again. That and the, your churchiness. <laughs> Church lady. Ridiculous. Well, we, um, uh, we've we run out of time, so we will... Um, I should say that uh, our guest of a couple of weeks ago uh, has a lovely thing to say about you. Bernadine Evaristo says, Rachel Long is an enchanting and heartwarming new voice in poetry. And she is such a lovely... That was lovely talking to her a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't it? Love it was great. Bernadine is not only like a brilliant writer she also the 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 ways in which she supports and um is just for like other writers is just is is i think a rare and it's a beautiful thing i would so much love Benedine. also it's very thrilling to speak to a woman who is like at the height of her powers it was such a it was, electric. it was it was like please yes please rule the world it was like yeah it's a real thrill that's a gorgeous way to put it the height of their power um we, yeah, we haven't really asked you about who you recommend and i would love just quickly before we go is there anyone that you've been reading recently or discovered recently that you'd really recommend um yeah no, just me. No, I'm, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a horrible person. Um, yes, uh, so many. I love uh, the work of Momtaz and Mary. Um, she has uh, a pamphlet called Doing the Most with the Least. Um, she's brilliant. Um, Bayega Adabanjo's work, Why I Yet Live, is a pamphlet that's out with Bad Betty Press, who are also press that's doing amazing things. That book is ridiculously good. And yesterday I saw um, a friend, uh, a fellow poet, uh, Cecilia Knapp, and she is doing really, she's making really exciting work. So there's lots of, oh, Caroline Bird as well, who I mentioned earlier, um, is again brilliant. So yeah, I have so many, I have lots of uh, suggestions, but I, I'm really excited for this particular time in poetry. I think a lot is um, changing and happening and moving. Um, yeah, it's exciting and dangerous. I mean, if you haven't got anything to do to kind of, yeah, outside, definitely borrow in. Um, yeah, I think it's really explosive at the moment. It's cool. That's what I like. I like the fact that uh, you uh, it's exciting and dangerous, but also at the same time you've been saying, and I won't be leaving my attic for the next 50 years. <laughs> That's the way I like it. Exciting, dangerous, and in the attic. The, um, well, uh, the book is out now, it. isn't it? It came out uh, about two weeks ago, I think, didn't it? Or, or, or just over a week ago. Um, it's fantastic. I recommend my Darling it. from the Lions by yeah, Rachel it's Long. It's it's Picador poetry, and they, they have lots of, of lovely stuff. And it's a really, there's, there's so many great pieces which are, so many possible stories in kind of you know in so few lines yeah. that's what i that's what i always think i suppose in some ways that's that's, that's the the fascinating. Poetry, yeah um thank you so much for doing this it's been such a joy to talk to you and it's really thank you for inviting me such a joy to speak with you too thank you and for reading the book it means a lot oh, no, a bad girl hurtling away to the countryside in her head with a little flask <laughs> Thanks very much to Trent as well for producing as usual. Uh, we're going to go away now, but Josie's not because I want to find out who that person is who disappointed her. You can't know, but we will. We'll be back soon. Uh, and uh, don't forget, if you can, support us via Patreon uh, or any other way. That's fantastic. Bye. 
thanks for listening. Remember, the book shambles at Royal Albert Home is tomorrow night. It'll be available on demand after if you're listening to this after the live event with Samantha Christopheretti and Tanita Tickerham. Patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to get extended episodes and support us making the show. That is it for this week. Back next week where we'll be chatting to neuroscientist and best-selling author David Eagleman. Until then, have a great week. Stay safe. Bye-bye. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.